You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Shay uh, Horowitz, the latest edition of the Amazing Mental Unlike podcast, and my special guest today is Howard Johnson. You know, Howard, I've done pretty well in, in PR. That's a good thing. One of my biggest failures happened to be with you. In the midst of your hot streak in the late 80s and the 90s, where you going 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases, I came mm-hmm. up with the idea of getting you a commercial with Howard Johnson's mobile. Yes. I, 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 it, would, it would be, hi, I'm Howard Johnson for <laughs> Howard Johnson. It never That's came right. up. Do you ever forgive me for that, Hoach? Jay, I hold it in my heart still a little bit of a little disappointment, but I do forgive you. And I, you know what? Would and that I, have been? You know, I mean, I guess oh. yeah, with, the, with the top guys in baseball, I couldn't get it done. But well, anyway, I'm glad you forgive me through the years, Howard. Howard let me, let me <laughs> You're my man, back. Jay. Let me take it back. Game six of the 86 World Series. Um, mm. You come into the game uh, against the Red Sox. It's a pitcher in the ninth inning. Mm-hmm. You had probably a bird's eye view of Mookie's at bat. You were on deck. Do you remember what you were thinking about when Mookie came to bat and you know, and when, when the ball went by Buckner? Tell me what you remember about that play. Wow. Well, there's so much there. I mean, I remember it distinctly being, being on deck, kind of in a squat, waiting to see what was going to happen. Um, of course, when, when the wild pitch happened and Mitch was able to score, that tied the game up. Uh, I really felt that uh, we were going to win the game. And all the pressure was off at that point. So, you know, I, it, what was weird about Jay was that I never felt like uh, like the pressure was on us that we were going to lose. I don't think anybody felt like we were going to lose. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, because Carter was in the dugout prior to that, like telling everybody he wasn't going to be the last out of the World Series. And just repeating that over and over again. And he got right in my face and told me that very thing. And I'll never forget it. And when he got his base hit, I was almost like, yeah, we aren't going to lose. He's not going to be the last out. We can do this. And then boom, 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 it happened. And, you know, just kind of waiting for, you know, Mookie's at bat to be over one way or the other. And I was ready to hit. I felt good about my bat coming up. And sure enough, when Mookie hit that ball up first, my first thought was, that's going to be a tough play because Shea, Shea was a kind of a tough infield back in those days. It ain't like now where it's pool table. Back then it was a little bit choppy, a little bit chunky, and the ball was taking funny hops along the way. And I've seen that happen so many times where guys fail to get in the right position on a slow ground ball like that. And sure enough, it happened just like I thought it was going to happen. So, you know, I didn't know it was going to go through his legs, but I felt like that's going to be a tough play to make clean. And Mookie had a chance to beat it out. And so yeah, I was just kind did. of waiting for my bat. Yeah, and when he hit the ball, I just thought, oh, man, just, this is interesting. It was a great, great ending. How we, we got you from the Tigers in, uh, in Ampton 94 CD, just come off a world championship. It was kind of a, a, a trade that went under the radar. You for Will Terrell, I mean, you know, at that time, the Mets, we had, you know, Davey was the manager. You had Strawberry Gooden. You know, Darling was there. What were your thoughts about coming over a team? It was a had won ninety games uh, the year before and on the way upward. Do you remember how you felt coming to that locker room? I felt great about it. Uh, I remember. I remember after the trade, you were the first one to call me. 
uh, the Tigers had told me, go, Jay Horwitz is going to be contacting you from the Mets. And I was like, oh, cool. Who's Jay uh, Horowitz, I was always, right? a, I was always, yeah, I mean, Jay, yeah. I, I said, you know, Jay, I was, I grew up in Clearwater, Florida, which is a Phillies spring training town. I was always kind of a National League fan. I listened to the, the radio, the Phillies on the radio a lot, follow the Braves a little bit. And, you know, of course, I watched the Mets on WR at times. And that was pretty much the only game in town you could watch. You know, the Cubs, Mets, uh, and the Braves, for me, that was about it. So I was well aware of the Mets, their success. And when I, got, when I found out I was going there, I was ecstatic. I knew Davey from my days growing up there in Clearwater. I had met him a few times when he was with the Phillies coaching. And, I mean, as a... They had a they had a camp down there, and he would show up there and do the camp. And I introduced myself and met him. You know, he was a, with the Braves at one point, so I kind of kind of felt like I knew him already. And you know, he was just a very very positive guy. I was excited and thrilled. And you know, I never really thought about the trade really once it happened. Bill LaJoy was the was the GM of the Tigers, and he called me that morning of the seventh, and he said, "Howard, uh, I traded you this morning," and I was like. Oh, okay. Where do, where did he trade me? <laughs> that was my first thought. And he said the Mets, New York Mets. And I was like, oh, okay. And Bill went on to explain why. He said Sparky wasn't going to play me much that following year. They needed pitching. They needed a starter that could log innings. And so they traded me for Walt Terrell. And uh, I just thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool, you know. I was excited, Jay, to be honest with you. And so I was looking forward to the opportunity. And so you, you really, so you had to really bide your time for for a year or so. You know, Ray Knight was here. I guess you know Kevin Mitchell played a little bit of a bit of bit of, bit of third base, and then you know after '86, you know Kevin was gone, Ray Ray was gone, and you proceeded to take off the next five six years. And hey, let me just read something. In '87, 36 home runs, 32 stolen bases. In '89, 36 homers, 41 stolen bases. In '91. Uh, probably one of the greatest years ever, and men has ever had. Thirty-eight homers, uh, thirty stolen bases, and the first man ever to lead the league in home runs and RBIs. I know that I asked you this before, Howard. What, what clicked in? You know what, Jay? I, I remember. I remember when Ray became a free agent. It was like midnight of the. I don't know what the trading deadline was, and my first call that I got was from Lee Mazzilli. He goes, "Hey, congratulations! You're the third baseman for the Mets." And I'm like. I'm like, what happened? He said, well, Ray, Ray didn't sign. He's, with, he's not going to be with the Mets anymore. And I was like, okay. I'm, I was excited, you know, for a chance. I mean, I'd been in the league for a few, couple years now at that point. And 85 was an awesome experience. We almost got there that year. And, uh, you know, Ray, Ray had 86, obviously, coming off 86. Ray had taken over that position. I was just kind of biding my time, like you said. Um, and when when I heard that, and I realized that it was going to be me, uh, I just went into overdrive. Like, I'm going to be ready for this. I'm, I'm going to play every day, and I'm going to be a world beater. And I remember being asked at the press conference, like, what were my expectations? And I said, well, I figure I'm going to hit 20 home runs and drive in 80. And I, I'll probably steal a few bases along the way. I've always done that. In the minor leagues, I did that with the Tigers. And they asked me, why do you think those are going to be your numbers? I said, well, the year before in 86, my bats were like two, 220, 250. And I figure, oh, they're going to double now. 
And my, those are my numbers. You know, if I just double my numbers from 86, roughly that's what they're going to be. And so I just went in 87, ready to go and put the numbers up and never look back. But the, the combination, your combination of, uh, of power and speed is, I mean, I know you did a minor league. It's kind of an unusual combination to have that good power numbers and steal those bases, you know, you know, three times 30, 30, man. You always were like that, Howard, even in the minors. You were able to yeah. combine the two. Always combined them. Uh, I remember when I was a kid reading Baseball Digest and Lou Brock talking about when he gets on base, he wants to be a uh, a pest. He wants to he wants to make the team pay for walking him for 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 being like that. You know, if they're going to walk me, I'm going to try to steal second. Ricky Anderson was the same way. If they walk him, he's going to steal second, maybe steal third and score. And I've been told um, Eddie Brinkman used to tell me. Because if you if you can steal if you can score a run or drive in a run, one of those things every day, you're gonna you're gonna put up some numbers and you're gonna be a very valuable player. I never forgot that, and I've told that to my players throughout my coaching career. Hey, get on base, either score a run, drive in a run, do something to help the team every day. At the end of the day, you're gonna you're gonna be a very valuable player, and yeah. that's that was my mindset. So. That's what I tried to do, Jay. I didn't mind taking the walk, you know. No, I, got, we, I was over three, yeah, over three the walk, and I stole a base and scored on a base hit. Then I felt like it was a good day. So that was my so mind. So, Howard, after you stopped playing, uh, you did coaching. You coached with Seattle uh, for, a, for a couple of years, and then you we came back, you know, to the Mets organization as a, as a scout. And then you were with David Wright at the beginning of, of his career in um, in, in, uh, in St. Lucie when you were coach there, and then he managed Brooklyn. What, did you see right away that David was going to be something special? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember seeing David for the first time in Instructional League, and uh, I saw potential there. I saw a guy that could run. I, I, I had him in the minor leagues at every stop just about. And I taught him. I taught him how to steal. I taught him how to run. I, back in those days, you know, we we were the hitting coach and the first base coach. And so when we were up, I wasn't in the dugout. I was on first. And I was helping our guys, you know, maximize their abilities, get the most out of it. And David was no no different. And I remember when I got the job in the big leagues, I – got a call from David. He's like, him and LaDuca were so pumped that I was going to be there. And I said, David, I said, we're going to do 30-30. Come on, we can do this. He's like, yeah, let's do it. And so that, was, that became a, a mindset for him. That was an accomplishment that he could get. And I believed in him. And when I was coaching first, you know, we ran and we ran and we did all we could. Because when you steal 30 bases, Jay, it's not that, it's not that you're out there running, you know, 30 times and boom, that's it. You have to look to run a lot. I'd say three three or four times almost what to get the success rate. And that's that's what was David. So we, we we focused on it, we did it. A huge accomplishment for him to do. And he, he gives you he you know, I don't know if you say he wrote a, a book recently and he gives you the credit for being with him at the beginning and staying with him and and one of the things he said that you helped actually at one point when we were in St. Lucie together kind of curtailed his hitting a little bit because you found there was a discrepancy between his home averages and his away average when he's in the Florida State League. So you asked him to cut back on some things? Mm-hmm, absolutely. He was, he was a kid that worked 
his butt off every day. And in the Florida State League, you know, it's hot in Florida. It's, you know, humid. And he would get there early. Him and Matt Galante would go in the cage every day and hit early off the tee, you know, for about an hour. And, you know, the first half of the season, he was okay. Then he started to wear down. His road numbers were way better than his home numbers. And I started looking at reasons why. I used to talk to Guy Conti, and we used to come up with some ideas. And we came up with the idea that, you know, he's overworking at home because he has, he has the option to come in early and hit off the tee and do those things. And yet, you know, it wasn't translating to the game as like we thought. And by midway through the season, you know, he was exhausted. So we, we really curtailed some things with his training and getting himself ready. And, uh, and it seemed to have an immediate effect for him. And I think that he realized that, you know, more is not always better. And that's kind of, it's a dichotomy in baseball. Sometimes, you know, doing less is the best thing for you. And that certainly worked for him. And it kind of helped propel him into his, you know, being a player he's going to be. He, uh, I mean, is there any doubt in your mind if he didn't get hurt, he would have been on a, a trajectory for Hall of Fame? Oh, there's no question in my mind he would have been. And that's the, that's the hardest part about being a Hall of Fame, in my opinion, is when you're an everyday player, is staying healthy for that length of time that you can actually put the numbers up over a, a long period and accumulate those things. And I think that David had all of it. He was a good defender. He could hit. He could run. He could hit for power. He could do all those things. And so, you know, I felt like if he, just, if he stayed healthy and continued on that path, whether I was there or not, he was going to be a Hall of Famer. And uh, unfortunately, we all know what happened. So, hey Howard, last couple of years, last year you, I know you, you coach in Mexico. What was it like, uh, you know, to coach in a different part of the country, you know, different country? Well, I only got to coach in Mexico for about a week, and then uh, the virus hit. That's right, you're right. The down. virus, yeah, hit. yeah. But it was I was enjoying it. Uh, I was with Omar Vizquel, and we, you know, had a great time. The time when I was with him. And I uh, enjoyed working with the Latin players. We had some American guys that, that made careers down there. And it was a lot of fun for me to kind of be around it and see what was going on and, you know, learn another different culture, be kind of be immersed in it. So I really enjoyed it. Hey, what, do you, what do you think about the change in, the, in the baseball hat last year? You know, like the, uh, you know, the DH, you're four against the DH. And, you know, the, the tenant, we had a lot of mind league experience that, you know, the tenant in rule where you put a guy at second base. What are your thoughts yeah. on the change that happened last year? Well, I'm I'm a I'm sort of a fan of the minor league thing with the runner at second because it does save your bullpen. Uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to keep shuffling pitchers in and out if you play a long game. Um, there's already enough of that anyway, and that would, that just makes it tougher. So I I like the idea in the minor leagues of doing that. I'm not a fan of it in the big leagues, um, although probably from a fan's perspective, you know, no one wants to see a you know, a 20 inning game like we played in St. Louis, you know, where it's one nothing uh, or no score. Um, you know, no one wants to see that per se, but, and I'm not a fan of the DH in the National League. I think that, you know, the National League is unique in that regard and I'm more of a purist. You know, I like to see pitchers hit, be involved. I think in your bench, you have to be way more involved with, uh, with minor league guys and, uh, you know, your bench guys. So I think the, you know, the return to a no DH rule would be fine. Yeah. Hey, you, you talk about memory. You took one game. One of my favorite games was you won the game, I think, in the 13th inning with a home run in Cincinnati. Mm. 
that was uh, July of '86. Um, in, in my, the seventh or eighth inning, yeah. Eric Davis slides into Ray Knight. Ray Knight, a boxer in his spare time, got up That's and right. clocked uh, Eric. And, <laughs> and I, I think then, didn't uh, Dave Parker drop a fly ball in the ninth yep. inning to keep the game going? He won the game in extra inning. That was probably one of my favorite games. You know, kid wound wow. up at third base, and uh, yeah. that was a crazy game. And not to mention, Jay, remember, remember uh, Davey flip-flopped uh, Roger and Jesse? Yes, yes, and, yes. And, yeah, yeah. and I don't know why teams yeah. don't do more of that. I would do that if I was managing. I would, I would consider that. They, they you were, know, why don't I have were, your best pitcher? Yeah. They were two good athletes. Howard, in the future, I get, you hope to get back to coaching someplace, maybe with the Mets down the road. Who knows, right? I mean, you never can tell. Yeah, what, what absolutely. Can I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm always looking to try to get better at what I do and – you know, be smarter, and 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 I know the game has changed a lot, and I'm I'm down with that. I understand that. Yeah, but players I, I, always want the same thing. They always want to be better, and they always want to win, and that's that's important. And I know, not that I'm a big Twitter guy, but to tell where I look, it you still have a deep uh, uh, friendship with a lot of the Mets fans. They follow you, and they they still remember what you did all the years. You still like, you know, uh, the top two or three in home runs, RBI, and stolen bases. And the, and the Mets fans haven't forgotten how much you gave. And, you know, who knows what the future is out, what would hold. Hey, one thing before I forget, big Tampa Bucks fan. Uh, oh, yeah. Bob Brady. I'm wearing my Bucks shirt right now. You're wearing your Bucks shirt right now? You know, what I like about Howard, Howard's not a front runner. I mean, you know, the Bucks are great to see you <laughs> with Brady. But Howard, just like me with the Giants, you yeah, always been a Bucks mm. fan. And uh, you think this could be the year we can have the Super Bowl in Tampa and uh, uh, finally a championship? I hope so. I'm pulling for it big time. You know me. So that game yesterday he played was a masterpiece. And I was pulling for the Giants yesterday. They they did it. And then last night I was kind of watching the game thinking, you know, Tampa might either go back to New York or who are they going to play Washington. But, um, yeah, I, it's, I'm ex- totally excited for the Bucks. It's been, been a long 2007. Hey, so. let me say this, Howard. The guy that the <laughs> Eagles put in the quarterback, I could have run Oh, Jay. Jay, you should have been out there. I you could have you could have ran those same play. That was that was awful. <laughs> that was really. I hear awful. you. Hey, Howdy, you're a good friend, and I appreciate your time, and I look forward to seeing you down the road, my friend. Anytime, Jay. Look forward okay. to it, bud. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.